Welcome to Upgrading Society, a podcast and community centered around discussing, dissecting, and implementing projects that are seeking to improve the world. Our goal for each episode is to leave you, the listener, with a good sense of what each project is all about. To do this, we have developed what we call a CAP score. CJ, take it away. C is for clarity, A for action, and P for potential. Clarity is how clear your idea is. Action is what you have done thus far. And potential is how promising your vision is. Each letter will be scored from one to nine, leaving us with a three-digit score at the end. To get these ideas to the highest score possible, we have three tools to help facilitate the conversation. Mike, tell us more. When you hear this sound, the person speaking has to explain what they mean in simpler terms. We call this no big words. When you hear this sound, everyone takes a deep breath and explains how they are feeling in the moment and give a score of 1 to 10 in comprehension. We call this checking in. When you hear this sound, people riff on future scenarios based on what they just heard. We call this what if. That's it. Welcome to Upso. Let's go. Today's guests are Mike Gilliand and Yuvi Ivanova. They are the hosts of Future Thinkers, a series of podcasts and videos about evolving technology, society, and consciousness to create a more sustainable future for all of humanity. The podcast explores questions such as, what does the future of humanity hold, and how can we help create it? How can we create societies where all human beings thrive? And what is the nature of reality and consciousness? in the form of a discussion between the co-hosts and guests. Some of the topics discussed include emerging technologies like blockchain, artificial intelligence, and virtual reality, transhumanism, future societies, consciousness, meditation, psychedelics, and the philosophies that connect all of these things. Future Thinkers has been featured as one of the best podcasts in Forbes and BBC and in the iTunes Top 10 in the tech category. Enjoy. Mike and Yuvi, welcome to Upgrading Society. Uh, I want to start off by just getting a little more um, history about how you guys started Future Thinkers. How did you guys, where, where did that come from? Sure, yeah. Well, we, um, we kind of started off as entrepreneurs doing like media production, editing, websites, video, audio. And we wanted to live uh, more of a digital nomad lifestyle. So we both met in Vancouver and left in 2012. And shortly after we started a podcast that was just based off of our breakfast time conversations. Um, Cause we were, you know, we're pretty geeky. We like to read a lot of books and we like to think about the future and, and kind of go off into Weird these tangents. deep, yeah, deep <laughs> philosophical conversations. And then we started to record those conversations and then we thought it'd be pretty cool to start interviewing people. And that, that was basically it. There was no intention of ever uh, really blowing it up or making money from it or anything like that. It was just kind of all passion mm-hmm. and it still is, but now it's our, the, the only thing we're doing. Yeah. It's our full-time thing. Uh, definitely grew and expanded and it's been really fun. That's, that's amazing. amazing. Oh, yeah. Jinx. Oh, Jinx. Uh, that's, that's <laughs> incredible. Um, can we talk a little bit more to that? Uh, how, how has the vision of, Future Thinkers evolved from the beginnings uh, to where it is now? It's hard to explain, but it's always kind of been about asking big questions and looking at big kind of existential issues in the world and trying to find really practical solutions to them. So if you look at the the journey from episode one to what are we at now, like 140 or something? Something like that. There's this linear progression that doesn't you don't really understand it until you go from the beginning and listen all the way through. Then it starts to make sense. And a lot of people tell us that, that we're, it's almost like we're predicting their next thought after they have an episode, they listen to an episode, they'll listen to something completely different, but there's some connection there that they weren't really aware of until they got to the next episode. So we've covered things like from psychology to sociology, to anthropology, to science and tech, um, Sometimes weird stuff like psychedelics or Fermi paradox or, you know, just interesting philosophical questions. But lately, it's been definitely more practical mm-hmm. about how can we actually uh, help in the evolution of society through technology and uh, how is all of that reflected in the evolution of consciousness and thought and, and human experience? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the long-term travel, because we only really returned back to Canada 
after since 2012, we left and started traveling. We only returned a few months ago. So it's been a long journey. The podcast was started during that journey. So we're really interested in culture and how culture affects the way we think and the way we act and the way uh, collective intelligences manifest in the world. Would you say that those topics have snagged you in a good way now and you're, you're circling around some of these same things now that reality or the world is, is kind of pointing towards maybe some more applied science than, than just theoretical? Or is it still a linear progression that you're on right now? Do you find yourself getting in more into these topics that are more prevalent and reality-based now versus the, the linear progression that you guys have experienced in the past? It's almost like the past conversations needed to happen to set the foundation for the current conversations. Sure. Um, and they were, sure, maybe a little more philosophical, but it's because we needed to find, to find the right questions to ask and then the right answers to those questions in order to get to the next set of, of kind of to-do list items, you know, the things we were, were focusing on and actually doing. We were talking about that exact same thing today. I would say we could not agree more. <laughs> you have to lay the groundwork when you're talking about things like this or else it's not meaningful. It's just an exercise in fun, right? Which it could be, but it's more than that, you know? Yeah, there's a depth of exploration that I think is really uh, required to go through your own set of personal evolution and transformation to be able to take right action in the world. And that it's deep. It's much deeper than most people think. And when you see a lot of problems out there in the world now, a lot of it seems to be because people are prematurely finding answers to those questions without really diving deep. Yeah, people think they're being red-pilled and then think that they've discovered some sort of a grand truth. But it's just, you know, if you look any, at any of the old traditions of, you know, trying to understand yourself or meditation or wisdom traditions anywhere in the world, you can see all those same insights. And then when you look at that and you realize, oh, wow, that's really juvenile. I thought that was the grand truth, but it's, that's just like step two out of 100. So, it, yeah, it becomes a lot more banal. Um, but at the same time, it, 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 you realize that it's, that's just the natural progression of a human being. You know, becoming an adult. Becoming an adult mm -hmm. and, and realizing some things about themselves in the world. And it's actually very uh, similar. It might happen in slightly different order for people, but it's actually very similar. And it repeats in all different cultures around the world. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's become a lot more practical for us, actually, to answer the previous question. Um, I think at the beginning, it was a lot more about kind of lofty philosophical questions and maybe some technology, like, oh, can technology save the world? And for me, at least, I've come to the conclusion that it can't because technology is a manifestation of the human mind. And if the human mind doesn't change, then the technologies that is going to keep coming up with are, are not going to be solutions. It's like, if you want to uh, create a solution, you can't be creating it from the same mindset that created the problem. It's right. just going to create more problems <laughs> on top of it. So that's why we've been focusing a lot more on psychology and personal transformation, because it, that seems to be necessary in order for people to get into the right mindset to actually uh, start, I don't want to say fixing things because that's not really it. It's more um, about being regenerative. And regenerative just means restoring things to health. And a lot of that for me has to do with relationships, our relationships to ourselves, our relationships to other people, relationships to society as a whole, to all living beings, plants, animals, the biosphere. And yeah, so the health of those relationships really determines if we're doing damage in the world or if we're doing good. That's so interesting. That's like... We've had this conversation quite yeah. a few times. And there, there's a common thread here too, right? Like a lot of the problems that we have today in, in sense making and decision making is we get all of our data and all of our our truth from, you know, shallow pools of knowledge, right? There isn't, there isn't a lot of real introspection and real derivative-based research done and introspection on getting to that truth to be able to then build an opinion that's going to make a difference in a positive way upon that, right? It's the same, same thing here that you're talking about and knowing oneself and having to do that real work. And also in, in, in the common thread going all the way to your technology comment that can, technology can't change the world because it's a manifestation of us. And frankly, it's just a lazy way for us to do what we need to do, right? Like if we're not do, putting in the hard work and telling the technology how to translate that hard work into a better life, then 
technology isn't being used properly anyways. It's like, an extension, right? Yeah. It's, it's just an extension of the mind, right? Like what you're talking about, the manifestation of the mind. If we're using it correctly. It, yeah. And we've talked about this in depth that the only way for things to change is like people have to evolve. That That's it, right? And it's so interesting because like what you're saying, like kind of like a, everything comes back to the self, right? Or the relation, a relationship with, with our relationships in general. Right. And how we, um, how you see those things unfold from just knowing yourself better, right? Like questioning even, right. It's like, like we've talked about this in exhaustion, like as a kid, you don't question anything really. Unless like, you know, some kids do. Some kids are like, I question everything. I don't believe my parents. I don't believe anything. I wasn't like that. Like I was like, yes, this is what life is. And it took a long time to start questioning things. And like, that's kind of like why we started this in in the first place was, you know, having a platform for people to kind of question everything and see if they can come up with a way or an idea to actually help instead of just like, following the herd right like that's like the biggest problem i feel like we run into all the time is like well this is the way it is so that's the way it is and like that's just like not good enough anymore it's like 2020 like you have to change if you want to see change right um but you know i've thought about this quite a bit and i think that uh kids actually are very curious and they're always trying to explore their world and understand things but it gets really um kicked out of them in traditional schooling uh, or modern schooling rather uh, where they're just told to regurgitate information and these are the right and wrong answers you know multiple choice and they're being graded on giving the right answer and so they forget how to be curious and how to be inquisitive and question the world so I think a lot of that has to do with with school and even earlier in parenting you know parents are always telling their kids this is wrong this is right and then to whacking them on the hand for doing the wrong thing, then the kid just learns to never question things. Right. So it, it, it runs really deep. But you're right, you know, um, we, <laughs> on one hand, we have to start with kids and with schooling and all of that. But on the other hand, uh, what do we do with the adults who are raised in a way to never question things? They, you know, they want to have some sort of a transformation too and a chance to see the world through this uh view of curiosity and and wonder that they perhaps lost at some point so yeah great um you know it's a good thing to have these kinds of initiatives that allow adults to change their mind in that sense even being playful as an adult is so important like the older i get like i'm just like the more i feel like a kid like everything in my life is better like i create better like my relationships are better my understanding of people, my patience, like everything is better when like I become, you know, in that way, like I approach things in a playful way, like and give space and time and energy to like explore and be that five-year-old kid who's just like trying to figure out what the world looks like. Um, yeah. So are you saying that Future Thinkers is is a, an outlet for that rejuvenation, that ability to, to kind of tap into your kid again and, and find that creative spark i mean i'm seeing a lot of outlets with what y'all are doing to be able to to find that rejuvenation stuff is this is this something you guys are are striving for is this part of the curriculum if you will to being a better you it has become more obvious for me that that has to be that way uh since having our son eight months ago and uh, i'm thinking about it a lot more uh from that perspective how do we help people rediscover that spark and that curiosity? Um, I think before we were focusing a lot more in in the last couple of years, we've been focusing a lot more on transformation and kind of undoing societal programming uh, that whatever it may be, you know, people think that they are their identity, for example, or um, people have been taught to think uh, linearly and have forgotten how to think creatively and non-linearly how to think outside of the box. So we're focusing on those sorts of things. And now I'm thinking that the next step is how do we be regenerative? So how do we restore that uh, curiosity, that spark, that childlike excitement and awe about the world and that 
a lot of that to me has to do with the kinds of environments that people are in because we're not separate from our environment like we like to think in the West. Uh, and Mike calls this consciousness tripwires. So it's the, the different things in your environment that trigger a certain uh, response or a certain state of consciousness. And so maybe you can talk about that. Yeah, well, I, I was thinking about the question too, is this an outlet? Um, and in a way, it's it's just kind of a a reflection of what we're thinking and doing. Uh, all the time. It's just, uh, it's just a label to put on what we're already thinking about doing. So one of the things we're doing, we're heavily invested in right now is building a um, regenerative village and, and kind of retreat center out in uh, the Kootenays in British Columbia, Canada. Let's talk about and, that. Yeah. And, and what I've been thinking about is, as we're going through the process of building this thing is the consciousness tripwires, like what kind of uh, physical, uh, buildings and design principles can we use to actually put people into a certain state of consciousness and, and also think about the movement through all of those locations um, to actually trigger different states of consciousness as you're moving through them. So yeah, yeah we can definitely dive into that more. Would love to. <laughs> right now? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yes, yeah. Why not? That's well, why we're here. We want to, I want to learn more about, or we, we want to learn more about, what Future Thinkers is doing. For, yeah. Certainly, the foundation is extremely important. And my brain is going in eight directions about these, you know, the needs, wants, legacy, the even the tri, the triangle of kind of echelons with yoga and, and personal evolution with meditation and where you go in these three different echelons. And we could go off on that tangent forever. But I, I'm, I'm loving where this is going, this, this whole, like, you've been on a path for quite a while now where you've really co-tiered the idea of how to deliver and how to really lead a life where you can provide regeneration and you can become that better self. Right. And now instead of going on that path of education, now you're, you're almost like, we know how to shoot the jump shot. We we're, we're a master in this. Let me go teach this now. And it's, and it's that transition period. And physically you, you have a space where you can implement that. Like, let's go down that path. Like, let's not graze over it. Tell us more about, about what you're doing there. And, and specifically what you were just talking about. If you, if you're excited about it, we're excited about it. There's a few other concepts here that we haven't really touched on that also laid a foundation for this thing. And Please. it has to do with resilience. Um, and as Yuvi said, red pill, like there, there's this kind of culture of red pilling where there's this single awakening to the underlying reality of the matrix. And, and people tend to kind of stop and believe that's the final stage. And um, I, it was either Peter Lindbergh or someone else. So this is, I found out about the, through this concept called gray pilling through Peter Lindbergh. Uh, where it's basically like take your daily vitamins, wake up daily, make this a process, not a state. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a big part of everything. Like, you, you know, you said, use the word master or having mastery. Um, what I've done and what UV has done, has done is surrender to the process. So we don't call ourselves finished in any regard. We're just doing this set of practices all the time, reminding ourselves of what we're doing. Um, and being comfortable not knowing the answers and being in chaos and ambiguity and, and just learning to be living, conscious, breathing people in that state of uncertainty. I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're defining that for me. That's really important. The, the version of mastery in this sense is extremely important, especially from your perspective. Keep going. And in that sense, the, the willingness to integrate, uh, let's use spiral dynamics from Ken Wilber as an example, or in, integral theory. Um, there are a set of stages that humans go through in their development and each stage tends to look at all other stages as subpar as is beneath them and there's a lot of stages that our western society are going through right now which are kind of at the higher end but still are looking at all of their stages as obsolete and the whole idea of integral theory and stepping up into a higher state of consciousness is that you integrate all of those things and you only do that by accepting the validity of each of them and not denying the validity of any of them. So, you know, in building this, this center, we, we've got a, several principles in mind, like focus on process, not state. Mm -hmm. uh, focus on resilience and things that make you more resilient. So stoicism as a, a kind of philosophical mental framework is a, is a deep basis of that resilience training. It's not just like cold exposure and breath work and that kind of stuff. Like, Although that's great. 
yeah, it's, it is good, but a huge part of it is like exposing your mind to the types of things that uh, you're afraid of, or you don't want to look at and, and making that a continual process. Um, so that's what the, the center aims to do among other things. There's a lot of focus on innovation and experimentation and prototyping, um, you know, emotional, mental, physical work. Um, you know, the practices that we've explored over the years that, that have worked for us, we're going to just double down on those. Um, it's also a village. So we want to be able to raise our kid with other kids, um, and other families who are also doing this kind of thing. So, um. Yeah. yeah. So for, for me, uh, since becoming a mom, that aspect has been really uh, top of my mind. Like, how do we actually bring these? <laughs> if I if I can get a little bit esoteric, it's like I'm bringing a new spirit into this world and showing him what reality is by modeling it. And it has just struck me how important that is. And how people, you know, in Western society do it unconsciously a lot of the time or just, you know, they're busy and they don't have the time to, to spend with their kid and to actually give them the attention that they need. And so part of this project for me is creating that kind of space where kids can grow up with, with the attention, with the love that they need with community that they need, with all the tools at their disposal to feed their curiosity and to follow their interests and not have to be told what to do, but to actually be guided towards the things that they're interested in to develop those things, you know, fr from the beginning. Yeah, to, for you to, to make a space or a, a place to encourage those things when... There's another element to this that I think we kind of skipped over a little bit in the story, which is very simple, very logical thing uh, in its f time freedom. And like recently we uh, participated in a workshop with someone who uh, named Chris Beasley, who facilitated this workshop in our community called the busy trap. And we, we decided to pursue this workshop actually partially in conversation with Jared um, because we kind of share the same feeling of like, self-worth uh, related to being busy and productive. And I, I've been kind of battling with that constant desire to, you know, measure myself by how much I checked off my list in the day. And I've realized as well that it's not necessarily the hours I'm putting in, it's the, the focused attention I'm putting in and the creativity and like going with the flow. And it's not all about that grind. And yeah. so you can see a kind of conflict of, of, different ways i this actually just showed him in, in my youtube channel just today like tim ferris versus gary vaynerchuk tim ferris works you know four to six hours a week gary vaynerchuk puts in 16 hours a day and like there are wildly different approaches but you can see they're both quite successful in their own approaches so this has been a huge lesson for us and only really started after we left for thailand and um you know, started working online. Like we suddenly had a lot more time to read the books we wanted, to discuss things that we wanted, to start a podcast that made us zero money that we just did out of passion. And the same thing continues to happen. It's those things that aren't related to checking things off a box that are actually like things we're really passionate about. Those things tend to be the seeds that grow into something much bigger. So in building this uh, regenerative living center, it, that I'm aiming for that to be part of the culture so that you can both find the ways to generate an income for yourself that's more passive, um, you know, to start a business maybe, yeah. and um, not just knee-jerk fill up all of that new time uh, with more tasks, but to just be, remember what it's like to be a human and live that way. Um, so that, that, I think that's a really important part of this that's just kind of overlooked allowing yourself to just do nothing and be what other would others would label as lazy, you know? I would like to clarify something here because this is not a place for leisure. Yeah. It's, it's a place where people still are productive. They're doing things, but they're doing it in a way that isn't filling up every second of their day. Um, and it's a place where people can have that time for reflection to actually question themselves. Am I doing the thing that I'm meant to be doing? Am I actually like helping or hurting? Am I contributing to the community? Am I being part of something bigger than myself? Do I actually have meaning in my life? 
taking out the busy work, taking out the the BS, right? Like it's like taking out the things that don't matter, quality over quantity in every aspect, right? It's like it's so important. I mean, gosh, I could go on for hours about this whole like the grind mentality versus like like having time to create and think. I mean, it's so just lost in the wind. Like, yeah. like, Oh, you're not working a hundred hours a week. Like you're lazy. How are you supposed to build an empire? If you're not like, if you're sleeping eight hours a night, like how is that? How, how can you do that? Right. It's like, it's like, and just coming from like a music background, like I'll tell you right now, like you don't need to spend a hundred hours to write an amazing song. Like some of the best songs that I've written and the biggest records that have gotten the most like popularity I've written in 15 minutes. It's because I was like calm and I was not stressed and I was able to play, right? I was able to sit down at a piano and create. And like there, until you've done something creative, I think it's hard to explain that to people that like you don't need to spend all your time trying all the time. Like stop trying so hard. Yeah. Yeah. This is, I'm glad you brought that up because that's definitely a big insight from this. Um, You know, UV and I are also musicians too. And like we've, you know, we haven't pursued it as a career, but we've also, we've definitely had that feeling of like spending a short amount of time on something produces a much better result than that grind year after week after week, month after month. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've sat there editing drums for like three months. Oh, <laughs> the black hole of editing drums. In there. <laughs> yeah. Brutal. Well, there's another part of this um, that I've been envisioning. Um, you know, we want to partner with a number of different companies that have that, focus on selling and building tools for creative for creatives so you know we want to have a maker space there 3d printers cnc machines um, any kind of fabrication laser cutting um, stuff like that so that if you have an idea you can just step into a different room and start building something Uh, as well as for musicians and creatives artists um, you know all of those tools i've started collecting all of these tools like i'm you guys are you know we're, we've got like a drawing tablet and a music studio sitting right in front of me. And I'm continuing to kind of collect these things because they're going to be used on the, the property. We want people to be able to express anything and build anything at any moment of inspiration. Cool. Yes. Wow. I'm just thinking about um, how, what kind of environment that's going to be for your kid. I mean, how, what, do you, what, are your, what, are you, what are you most excited for seeing him grow up in this regenerative village what do you think is like the most exciting uh thing well it's funny how he already is so naturally drawn to the outdoors to nature to trees and plants like that's just he's in his element um when he's outside sitting on the grass and messing with plants and stuff like that so um this this will be a great opportunity for that Mm -hmm. i mean the the property itself already has so many animals and so much wildlife and so much variety. So I think that'll be pretty cool. Yeah. I think that's a huge part of it. You know, when people grow up close to nature, it, it changes their mindset, uh, comparing to growing up in a box your whole, your whole life. So, um, I hope that not just for him, but for anybody that comes and spends an extended amount of time there, that will change how they experience themselves in relation to everything else that they maybe see themselves as less separate and more Mm -hmm. interrelated with everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's one, one little bit that I wanted to come back to. You were saying, um, you know, how are you building an empire if you're sleeping eight hours a night? And that (laughs) made me think, okay, well, this whole idea that you're supposed to be building an empire is flawed because no empire in human history has ever lasted more than a couple thousand years. I think if like, depending on how you count, the Roman Empire was the longest one and it lasted less than 2,000 years. Some right. we even say like a 1,000 years where it would actually count as an empire. That's a blip in history, you know? If you want to look at something that lasts, look at biology, look at evolution, look at nature. Like nature has, a, has figured out how to do something that is long-lasting. And I don't even like the word sustainable because it means keeping things as they are. And that's not what nature does. Nature is regenerative, which means that it creates conditions for health and for life to thrive. So I would much rather be like nature than be like the Roman Empire. Right. Mm. That's such that's a, a good very point. Interesting yeah, perspective. Great point. 
Yeah. I've never heard it said like that. I think that's awesome for, especially for our podcast, we're trying the idea of upgrading society is, is not what we've already done. It's not history. It's not, we, we, we can't look at the past of human civilization and, and think that that's just how things are. I mean, to, to look forward towards the future and to what, can we model ourselves after to be sustainable long-term and, and nature is such a beautiful thing to, to kind of look back on. Um, have you found anything specific, like what, what's, what's your biggest takeaway from, um, from nature that you've recently kind of uncovered that you'd like to bring into your own life and that we should bring into ours, you think? Well, I, I, I think uh, the organizational principle of hive animals mm. like ants and bees is called stigmergy. Mm. Um, and it's this idea that these, there, there's not a top-down hierarchy in these, these organizations, even though there's a queen. The queen's not sending messages and controlling all of them all at once. It's really um, each ant has a set of routines of how it responds to the environment. So it's agent in arena, not necessarily agent and other agent. Um, but that, you know, to the, the agent, the other agents are part of the arena as well. So I think humans have this tendency, this egocentric tendency of thinking that everything we do is consciously chosen and that, you know, we, we make conscious decisions that work out or that screw up. And without realizing how much of our internal drives are driven unconsciously. Um, so that's an interesting thing that you can see just by observing nature and that there is a lot of intelligence underneath the, the conscious mind. And if you can just shut up the monkey mind for a little while, every once in a while, um, you don't stop being productive. You don't stop getting things done. You actually can increase your ability to, to take positive, effective action in the world just by not feeling like you need to be in the driver's seat the whole time. So studying ants has really taught me that. For me, one of the most fascinating things and something that's really useful is looking at how nature creates new forms. And it does it constantly. It's always trying new things. And sometimes they don't work out and sometimes they stick around for a long time. But it's always trying new things. And it does it in a local way and it does it with materials that are available locally and with the sources of energy that are available locally. So it's very much place specific. And humans, the way that we think about business or technology, about growth of companies or whatever, we don't follow the principles of nature, which is probably why things don't last very long right. in human society. Um, you know, we ship materials from across the world. We extract things with high pressure and high temperature that doesn't exist in nature. You know, we make these composite materials that, you know, we have to expend all this energy to create. Um, and we do chemistry in a way that um, it's very energy intensive as well and resource intensive. Whereas nature does chemistry in, in, you know, in water, in just regular temperature that exists out in the wild, not under high pressure. I mean, some, some geology happens under high pressure, but it's, it's local, you know, local conditions that enable that. Right. And, and the um, nature self-organizes as well. There's no top down, like Mike was saying, you know, even the way that uh, plants self-organize when they're growing in a meadow, uh, there isn't like a top-down dictating principle, like I'm going to plant you here, I'm going to plant you here, you go over there. So I think that we can learn a lot from that, you know, self-organizing, use resources that are available locally, use the sources of energy that are available locally. And the permutation of the thing that's going to happen is going to be specific to that location. It doesn't need to scale across the world. That's not the point. The only thing that scales is the principles. You know what else comes to mind as you're saying that too is the idea of consensus. Like, mm -hmm. like we in like liberal democracy, we tend to think that consensus is vital. And I, I notice living in Europe, it's even more important. And it's like it's I'm I have an entrepreneurial background. I I usually seek forgiveness rather than permission. I do, and then hopefully it doesn't step on too many toes. Um, and that's always worked out really well. And so I don't know that like nature doesn't focus on 
being democratic, but it also has good feedback mechanisms when one agent or species is messing with too much with another. There's often a response. There's also an extinction as well. So I mm-hmm. could be talking out of my ass here, but. <laughs> no, it's interesting. Are you guys planning on for, for the village? I know you were just talking about the, you know, shipping materials to places that are, that's, you know, it's, it's, it's foreign to that place. Are you planning on bringing those same, uh, thoughts to the way you're building, actually building the village? Like for example, like, you know, building Adobe bricks, it's the smartest things to do is to use the earth to build the brick from where you're actually building it. Like it doesn't make sense to bring in sand in, you know, other minerals from other places to build in that place. It's, it's not conducive. It, it doesn't make any sense and it's not cost effective either. Um, I'm curious of like, logistically, like, are you trying to do the exact same thing with this village? There's so many natural resources already on the property. Like one of the more common trees there are hemlock trees, which are okay for building. Um, they're good for kind of like stacking. Uh, they're also good for firewood. Um, and there are a number of other types of trees in the area that we could we could trade with kind of na- our neighbors to get the right kind of building material. And trees are actually the one of the best renewable resources for building. So um, probably we're going to focus on uh, a number of log cabins out there. The property itself already has uh, a bay of, well, two bays of um, solar panels. So the energy production is already exceeding the demand on the property. Um, So there are things like that we're thinking about. We're also thinking about geodesic domes because the heating is more efficient and they're just kind of cool to look at. <laughs> shipping container homes as well. Yeah, um, you, you know, know, you can recycle old yeah, shipping containers. Upcycling yeah. the, the waste products that society already creates, I think is another useful yeah. thing. We're thinking a lot about these circular economies and circular use of materials as much as possible. And I know that it, some of these things won't be you know, perfect at the start, but over time, like I see this as a long-term project, you know, it's going to be a decade or more to set it up fully. Um, so over time, we will upgrade these systems and we will build them in such a way that they would be upgradable and modular that we can, you know, plug in new components that are more regenerative, more local with time. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, there's a, there's a mill uh, in, in the town nearby and they produce a lot of sawdust, but because it's quite remote, that sawdust is not practical to ship anywhere to be reused for anything. So they just burn it or bury it. But there's actually a lot that you can do with sawdust. Like you can use it for heating, for example, because when it starts to decompose, it produces a lot of heat. So you can have pipes that go, uh, that carry water that go through the sawdust that can be, you know, in-floor heating to heat the houses. It can be used to heat greenhouses for uh, growing food. Um, you know, compost toilets are also a thing. You can grow mushrooms and sawdust. There's a lot of different uses for it. So since it's already right there and not being used, like that's one of the things that we're trying to consider how to use that waste material efficiently. So is the idea to be kind of off-grid and to be self-sustaining completely? To yeah, it's pretty much already there. Like it, it is, it is connected to the grid, but um, they don't really need to use anything. Um, because they've got the solar panels. So it's pretty much off-grid yeah, as it, it is. Yeah, it has its own water pumps. And- Will you produce your own food and, and whatnot as well? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a farm. Yeah. Um, I think about 40% of the land Six. of the 107 acres. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah, mm-hmm. is farmland yeah. currently being used to supply a lot of the community with food. Wow. Amazing. Self-contained environment. It's not like you go there to rehabilitate. You go there to, to be. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Excellent. So uh, I'm assuming you guys are going to have RV spots there. Is that, uh, are you going to have spots for visitors? How, how's that? Oh, work? definitely. Yeah. That, that's one of the first ways we plan on accommodating people is just have a number of spots for camping and RVs and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But we're, we're in contact with a, a dome manufacturing company um, to have like kind of high end uh, camping domes for like couples. Um, so you can just show up there in your car if you want and, and, be able to live there yeah we're, we're going to experiment with a bunch of different buildings to see what's you know what's cost effective what's regenerative what people enjoy living in uh shipping containers like mike said some a-frame cabins some domes you know probably build a hobbit house just for the hell of it <laughs> 
Yeah, we've been doing a lot of research on this stuff and it's pretty amazing what you can do. Like the, we definitely want to have, we don't want to have that kind of feeling when you step into an intentional community that like things are falling apart or, or that everything's just slapped together. Like I feel that way a lot of the time when I go to communities, it doesn't feel high end and high end doesn't have to mean extractive or, or, expensive. or expensive. Yeah. It can just be like real attention to detail and yeah, craftsmanship. And I, I care a lot about that. So I want yeah. to have that feeling of like, oh, wow, this is nice. Like I could really live here. Most of the, if you look at just like architecture and, you know, building materials as a whole, some of the most expensive uh, finish outs in homes these days, like, you know, uh, Moroccan, uh, plaster and things like that. And a lot of like Greece, the way that they, they do things, it's really in the labor that costs so much, right? Like the raw materials are not that, that expensive, you know, uh, lime plaster is very affordable, but when taken with, you know, hours of care and polishing and, you know, spraying it down with like natural materials like black oil or sorry, um, black soap, which is like an olive oil based soap, you can literally have waterproof stone structures anywhere you want. And it's very affordable to build. It just takes time. So for what you guys are talking about, like it makes total sense. And, and, it, and it's super classy right it's like very luxurious it's like turkish baths like all that it's all made out at, from that it's just it's just time it's labor it's it's uh creative it's like a bunch of artists just building a bathroom or building a structure um yeah. so it's super exciting we participated in a natural building workshop in bulgaria a few months ago and that was pretty cool because they already had an existing community there and they just kind of got everyone together to you know, learn about and engage in the process of building a new house out of cob and straw and mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff like that. And it was like, it was an event for everyone. And they got, they basically built this house with zero cost on labor. Mm-hmm. And so I, I kind of imagine that in this community, like we could all just take time every once in a while to build each other houses. That sounds very game B. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you look at yeah. a lot of cultures. I mean, most of the churches are built from the, by the community. Um, with no labor costs, like literally the community comes together, they build these, you know, hundred year old churches out of stone and they're the most beautiful structures in the entire community. And they're all built for free. Yeah. It happens all the time. Think about like, what would, you know, I, I love that feeling of visiting a lot of places in Europe and, and entering a building that has been around for thousands of years and having that feeling of permanence, like that thing has been around way before me and it's going to be around way after me. That kind of like strong feeling of building. And I, I've thought about like, what would that look like if it was built to be, uh, to work with technology, you know, to have like technology integrated in every bit of that place, to have like a central vacuum system in a cathedral or like, <laughs> you know what I mean? or like, like really solid internet connections and patch bays on every wall. So you have power and you have internet everywhere without the wireless. Yeah. Purpose-driven is very important, I think, when you guys get started. That's going to be the differentiation point because the stigma is of a purpose, purpose-based purpose uh, living community is, is not the stigma of, like, we are providing the next level of evolution. They're saying, you know, we're, we're fed up and we don't want to deal with it anymore, right? And that is exactly the opposite of what we're trying to do. It's almost like you're creating a spa that you don't leave, right? And the spa is for the mind and for the soul, right? Like... Like, like come here and be your best self and raise your family and be around the people that you love and don't leave instead of just come for a few hours and, and check in with, with the, with the Yahweh inside, if you will. (laughs) Well, we do plan to have visitors for sure. And I think that's essential to any community that it's, uh, it's not closed off and it's not just kind of, you know, self-derivative where people are just rehashing the same stuff over and over. It, It needs to have those you know, influx of new people coming in and bringing fresh ideas and mm-hmm. yeah. So there's going to be kind of stages of, of uh, resident, like there are going to be people who are there long-term, medium-term, short-term, and then there are going to be kind of big group events where people will come for a week or a month or something. Retreats, conferences, yeah. you know, hackathons, yeah. those kinds of things. Yeah. Where do you guys see this? Where do you guys see this journey in six months or a year, like in, in your guys' mind? Yeah, let's talk forward. 
Yeah, it really depends on the next set of steps, which are actually just kind of rounding out right now. Um, I'm working on a set of videos that will uh, show the property. We've got a bunch of drone footage from the previous couple of weeks visiting the property. So I want to like give people a taste of what actually it would be like to live there. Cool. Um, and then we need to raise more money and then we start building and we're, we're going to hit the ground running when, when we have the money in, in hand. So the big event center and uh, four new dwellings um, on the eastern part of the property, that's stage one. Um, and then stage two, we have to build some new roads and we have to add more dwellings to the property. And then we're going to work on like building the maker space. Um, so all of the tools of, of uh, creation and fabrication and prototyping, that's going to be in the maker space. And then the meditation and kind of self-development area will be sort of in the forest by the river. There's a river that runs through the whole property. So that'll be fairly easy. That could even be part of stage one. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, we're hoping to, I mean, the studio, getting the studio up and running right at the beginning is really important because storytelling, like you said, is going to be a huge part of this and updating people on every project that we're working on there. And then having people that live on the property come in and chat in the studio environment. So that's going to be pretty high priority. But I mean, we, we have most of the stuff we need already to get that going. We just need, uh, we need to start building. That's mm -hmm. it. We need to move there and start building. But a bunch of my family are actually getting in on this too. Um, my, my parents are going to live there. Some of my siblings are likely to live there in the future. So I don't know if you guys have thought about this, but I would highly recommend that you guys like literally document this entire thing as like, like a show like, like a hgtv show right? and he, but here's the not, reason why you know obviously keep them out of there but <laughs> like if you guys could i mean oh, they do a good job production wise i hate the manufactured drama of most of those shows we one of my clients uh edits hillbilly hand fishing for for discovery yeah. channel i can tap them on the shoulder for you guys yeah <laughs> yeah i'd love to do that actually that's been in my mind uh, like building making either a, a series or a documentary yeah that's the plan yeah we've, we've been getting footage already it's, it's, it's just, so we're working on two actually, one's for music and one's for this whole other story. And if you can document it and really, you know, this is like, obviously like off the show, we're not like, you know, talking about this, but if you can document it and then package it, cut a sizzle, you could, you know, potentially sell to fund the project in itself. Or even or even a subscription service. I, I guess I'm the finance guy. I can, yeah. I can give you some business ideas and not sound weird. I, uh, my parents subscribe to these this couple and their kids that travel all across the country in a Winnebago. Like, and they're making a lot of money just sharing like their travel and their Winnebago. This is a much more compelling story to a lot of different people that are thinking about this from many different angles. You could get an audience that's just concerned with the applicable use of the technology in your creative space, right? Like, and if it takes off, you can brand a lot of the stuff that comes in, right? You want the 3D printer? Like it's yeah. donated. And I'm, I'm, phenomenally interested in how you're set up from a business perspective. Are you a, a not-for-profit? Like, how are you taking donation? Like, how are you using that as tax write-off? How are you doing those books to create a sustainability and kind of be left alone? Like, I would love to dig into that maybe at a different time. But that's that's fascinating to me, too. Like, are, are you taking advantage? And how, frankly, I think it would be a very interesting perspective once you get into this of how from a capitalistic perspective, like, I tend to have how you can still remain capitalistic and being efficient in the decisions you make, but do so through a non-capitalistic lens, right? Like you obviously don't want to waste money in taxes and property taxes. And if there's ways where you can sell goods to pay less in property taxes and give more to the community, you'll do that, right? But how much does that cross the line of what your purpose is and what the drive is there? I think that would be a fascinating yeah. little sidestep, but not to... Like you'd rather get a three hundred thousand dollar three D printer than a Pay check taxes. for three hundred thousand dollars. That's the truth, right? You're so, right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's how do we magnetize that for you? I, I was literally just thinking about this yesterday. It's like the the extractive capitalist system that we have is you know, crumbling at the seams. Um, I used two, two euphemisms at the same time. It's crumbling or falling apart at the seams. Um, but 
uh, it doesn't mean that it's completely useless. Like we can learn something from it. We can transcend and include, uh, you know, we can use business sense to make this thing function well. And I absolutely agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. We're not anti-capitalistic. We're just trying to be as game B as, as we can. Um, but there are certain things that are just more efficient about the the kind of game A way of doing things. And it doesn't mean like we have to commit to one or the other. We have a baby crying. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were rolling your eyes at him. I was laughing. <laughs> you, you just, you just attacked my heart right there in a good way. We've talked for an hour about what we should be talking about, which is how to change the mindset of those who are trying to do the best thing for the world and those around them and themselves. Right. And it took us an hour to say anything about, finance or how we spend the money or how you know how we get into capitalism and my whole argument go go yeah yeah yeah, go i'm sorry yeah my whole argument in this in this entire proposition is there should be a marriage of public and private right there should be a (laughs) she she feel bad it feels bad she should not i'm surprised the cat hasn't sabotaged us (laughs) there should be this marriage though between the public and the private right there should be a way for us to teach or to show the value or set a pace for being able to live in this autonomous think for yourself work four hours or 60 hours whatever you want to do but think about everyone oh come on oh my gosh (laughs) for all those audio podcast listeners we have a baby in our midst and he is a gorgeous gorgeous baby oh is this post nap what a cutie no this is post temper tantrum i think yeah he needs a nap that's why he's crying oh he just wants to be a part of the conversation he wants nothing to do with public private partnership (laughs) just give me the trees and the plants and the bugs i can eat just show me the plants oh my gosh so cute i love it i'm i'm fascinated by that mix though and how we can make that that work because it's it's not about breaking off i think the best um uh game b um, scenario from what I've been able to conjure up is being able to do it in a way that we can actually implement it, right? We don't have to change the world, but there are certainly things that should not only be considered, but seriously considered like immediately in that game, game B space, right? And if we're, if we're able to marry a relationship between public and private, and we're able to bring something to the table that doesn't require everyone to completely change, but takes the best of that new space and starts to fold it in that, then we're really onto something. Right. And, yeah. and I, I believe a lot of the hyperbole and a lot of conversation around this, this, this game B environment is we have to cut ties and start over again. And I think that's very difficult to implement successfully. And there's so many ways where we can successfully implement even things that are much more simplistic and, and, and less uh, obstructive in a good way as, as what you guys are creating, right? Like this is what you're doing is like one of my wildest dreams, right? Like being able to go to this, this ex- extent and in, in, in actioning these conversations. But there's even littler things that can be done that'll make change. You, you, t- you touched on something just now that I find to be really, really interesting, which is what... It, it, a big thing we focus on in the the kind of heady uh, personal development space is deconstructing the identity and deconstructing the attachments that we have to the way things should be, should in quotes. Um, I think that's the source of a lot of problems out there in the world. Like this belief that things are not right, they should be a different way. And this kind of wholesale desire to transition from one thing to another and cut ties with everything in the past. And so this, this like work of, of working on the ego and, and working on your attachments and working on what you believe to be shoulds is extremely useful when it comes to decision-making about stuff like this, like what we're talking about. How do we engage in game A and how do we transition and how do we uh, engage in game B? Like these are really difficult, complex questions and we can't just wholesale get rid of one without toppling the whole system to begin with. Yeah. We've got very far on capitalism. Like how do we pick the best elements of all worlds? And so we're, you know, UV and I are pretty agnostic. We're not, we're not attached to any one outcome or any one process. It's like, what's going to work? What works, yeah. yeah. 
what's regenerative and what works. Very simple value system. And let's go forward with that. And to say something about how nature does it, nature doesn't start from scratch it, and it doesn't discard things wholesale. I mean, yes, there is extinction. So maybe it does discard things wholesale, but it doesn't start from scratch. It builds on what came before always. And it just iterates, you know? So I think that it has to be done the same way. Like nature composts what is dead and uses that as fuel to make new life. Mm -hmm. So likewise, like what's, you know, what are the elements that are going to survive and what are the elements that are dead that need to be composted and reused? So, so logistically, Smart. you're, you're at, a, at a point right now where like you have the land, right? We say that again. I have you, a you have the here. land. We have the land. Yeah, we're well. We're we're In moving. Yeah, we're moving through that process right now. But we have a a letter of intent, and we're in regular conversations with the owners, and we're just working out some of the details right now. But yes, essentially, then, like we're moving forward. And then the next thing really is like funding to start the first phase. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like, what does that actually look like? Like logistically, like how much. What, what would you guys try to raise to to carry out that first stage? Yeah, what are you looking for? We need, so we've raised some money for it already. And I don't know if I need to get into like the specifics of what we raised or what we need, but we do need about 1.5 million for the upgrades and for the ongoing development. Um, and that's pretty much phase one and two. And then there's a lot more things we want to add to it after that. So we're trying to minimize the needed funding and, and do as much as we can with our own labor and with the community labor. Um, and then as we go forward, get little bits more of money injected into the project. But really, we're not trying to raise a whole bunch at the very beginning. Just and how big is your team so far? Like how big is your team right now of people that are going to be building this or, you know, at least like being the, the core team that's doing. I think the list is about 12 to 15 right at the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, but there are, there are more people and not all of those people are like signed and, you know, ready to go. Like, right. There, but there's a lot of people kind of volunteering. And I mean, our community in the podcast definitely supplies a lot of, of help for us. So, and I haven't, I haven't even really like, I'm working on these videos and I haven't put them out there yet. So no one even knows what the property looks like. People right. have got this conceptual vision of it that, we've communicated over the years, but nothing really concrete like we've described to you guys in this call. So um, I imagine that's going to explode this in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. So you better hurry up. And we, and we don't have like 400,000 people yeah. that are going to hear this in a couple <laughs> They're of weeks. like lined up around the corner. <laughs> yeah. And we don't need to like put any of this directly into the podcast. I just like more for us to know, like, you know, it's always like the answer is like, well, we're trying to raise money. It's like, well, like how much, like if you're trying to raise 20 million, that's a lot different of a conversation than we're trying to raise a million. Yeah. Right? And I, I heard five buildings were going up for the 1.5 million and you're allowing 12 to 15 people that sustainably live there after 1.5 million. There are a lot of buildings already on the property. There's still oh. so just to make it usable and to run a farm. The farm's already running. The property, uh, the owners lease the farmland to a, a farmer who does everything pretty hands off for the owners. I have to go and put this guy to sleep. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Oh, um, good. There Take are, Thank you so there's much. one five bedroom house. There's two, two bedroom houses. There's tons of space already for RVs and camping and stuff. We need hookups and we need, um, uh, sewage and stuff for that. Um, but like the stage one, is essentially the community center, like that one big dome where a lot of the events will happen because the accommodation more or less is already ready for about 20 to 30 people um, on short-term stays. Long-term stays closer to maybe four or five families. Gotcha, cool. Yeah. We spoke to someone recently that was looking for a place to live purposefully like this. Yeah, it was us. My girlfriend will not let me move there with you or I'd be asking. I mean, wow. it's incredible. I'm really excited. Like, <clears throat> yeah. And yeah. Yeah, and I, I think... I want to hear progress over time on yeah, this. For definitely, sure. definitely. I, this is I'm, a phenomenal idea. Yeah. Really looking forward to... I, I, I didn't even think... I mean, we, we were initially expecting this to be a partner call in terms of how can we utilize uh, your community to bring more projects on to to feature in this podcast. But we didn't even really consider the fact that your project is something that people can really be kind of 
deeply working on and, and making yeah. happen. So yeah. um, this is kind of a, a crossover episode. Really, really yeah. cool. Yeah, we're, you're a partner and we'd like you to come back with yourself and describe more about your project. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we'll give you a cap score. And anything we can do, I mean, we're, you know, obviously after this call, like we're going to like brainstorm and continue to brainstorm because all three of us, this is like very high passion of us, like this regenerate, uh, regenerative village mentality, you know, building from, from off the grid, like sustainability, all this is like something we've constantly are talking about. Yeah. Um, so my brain's just going a million miles an hour. And just to, uh, to, to put a cherry on top, um, so going back a little bit more towards the personal development side of things, for those of for those listeners out there that were kind of like me in terms of having a complex to save the world, um, what would you tell them first off? And then what tangible actions can they take? Uh, this is a little bit of a leading question, but can they take uh, to to help them with that feeling? Uh, well, that's a good question, and that's something you and I have talked about extensively in the past, too. So you, I think you know what my answer is going to be about that. I, I generally see that that impulse to save the world is part of the problem. Um, it, it's, it's, it's out of this need often or this, this desire to fix your own current situation by changing the external landscape. And so... I, I generally, when people are asking me about this, like, how do I have impact in the world and how do I fix the world? I generally say, go into your bedroom and meditate, be quiet, do nothing for long periods of time. You know, like Jordan Peterson says, clean up your room. And I love that advice. And a lot of people don't understand that that's a metaphor. Like you cannot tell the world how to change if you don't have your own life in order. Um, and often when you get your life in order, you start to see the perfection out there in the world as well. You, you realize like, oh, well, the world is not being co-opted and destroyed by a group of white men in a shadowy room with cigars. You know, it's not, it's not about that. It's a lot of well-meaning people seeking to like seeing a problem in the world and seeking to change it in, in all realms of life. And when those different groups of people conflict, that's when we start to get a lot of problems or when people believe their way of their vision of the world is better than other people's vision. That's when we have a problem. So I mean, I know a lot of the biggest lessons I've ever had uh, came from deep suffering, you know, different events in my life, uh, things just fell apart. And, and the only way I could have learned that lesson is if those things fell apart. So if someone tried to rob me of that by preventing my suffering, they would have done me a massive disservice. And um, I, I think that way about a lot of the suffering that's happening out there in the world now. I think, yes, I've been there. That sucks. And you absolutely need to go through it. So, I mean, the collapse of Western civilization is going to be rife with that. And if we're trying to constantly prevent each other's suffering, it's going to be in, in a lot of ways, the strategy surrounding that is going to be based off of preventing the, the uh, event to begin with. Preventing the, the, you know, let's use self-driving cars as an example, like preventing job loss of the transportation industry by stopping self-driving cars. Like that would be a massive disservice to the world. But we have to, we have to start thinking about that suffering that's going to take place due to automation and due to societal and social change as necessary and part, part for the course. So, yeah, I, I think it's possible to take really strong, passionate, positive action in the world without having any attachment to the result. Um, because that's something I've worked really hard at doing. Like I don't, I don't, I'm not going to be heartbroken if everything around me falls apart and all of my endeavors fall apart because I'm not attached to the results of it. I'm just working extremely hard and with passion to try and make it happen. And it's more about the process than the end state that I'm going for. So I would hope that would be something people could take away rather than trying to prevent the suffering of others and all of that. And what kind of resources do you have available to a listener? Good segue. <laughs> yeah, we have we have a number of courses uh, in in the community that we that cover this cover cognitive sovereignty and facing the shadow. I mean, the shadow is a big part of this. Like, what are you most afraid of? What is that? You know, that desire to save the world is based often out of some fear. So let's investigate that. What is that fear? 
What are you most afraid to look at? What is most uncomfortable? Um, and then if we can kind of get comfortable with those feelings and also get comfortable, like I said at the very beginning of this interview, with ambiguity and with chaos and with uncertainty about the future, if we can just let that be uh, a state that we're almost indifferent to, that we're just comfortable with and we can take action regardless of our knowledge of the future, we'll take a lot more effective action. So, yeah, uh, members.futurethinkers.org. <laughs> amazing (laughs) love that and i mean a lot of this course the the courses that we've made in the community and all this it just kind of translates into the physical world when we get this retreat center going regenerative center going i'm a big fan of meditation at the end of the the mantra that i recite it says it is in dying of oneself that we are born unto everlasting peace and I've all, I, I know what the definition of that means, right? When you stop caring about what other people think about you or what your outcome is or like, you know, like the representative self, the surface level of how people are going to react in your ethos, if you will. Um, and you start just thinking of other people and not of yourself anymore, then you can really find that true, like mellow happiness and that true, like that, that even keel that gives you that true happy. Right. But I always thought about like, how do you, how do you get there? Like, what are the what are the exercises that I can do? Like the exercise of meditation to become a better version of myself through that lens. Right. Cause if I could snap my finger right now or, and get the recipe for exactly how to die of oneself that I would be doing, I would be starting it tomorrow. Right. And that's, that's a challenge that I've happily accepted in my life to try to pursue that. But it sounds as though some of the things that you all are cultivating are, are in the intention of applying a science to that, 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 journey if you will is that am i off base there oh definitely it's true yeah we like we're um something i've realized recently is how much stoicism as a philosophy describes this practical mentality that i've been the kind of my life experience in the world has thrust me into i didn't really have a label for it until a few months ago when i was like oh you know i started diving into stoicism and was like this is exactly describing the philosophy that i've had for years already so there's a lot to learn from um, kind of ancient wisdom. And we plan to build these tenets and these philosophies into the culture of what we're building. Um, so, you know, a lot of it has to do with like just facing, using your emotions as kind of a compass of what you need to face next in your world. Um, where do I feel that most like, uh, what is most alive in me? You guys do <laughs> use that process in your interviews already what's right. most alive or just, you know, take a moment to breathe and think about that. Yeah. Lean in, lean into what's, what's driving you at that moment. Yeah. This is a perfect tease. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see how this unravels for you and, and seeing how we can actually be able to affect change yeah. and help you. I'm already, my brain's going like crazy right now. <laughs> I'm thinking about like designs. I'm thinking about everything. You know, <laughs> all the thoughts that we've been talking about, about community-based living and and opportunity, you know, that it's all I can do not to dive into that. That's why you're coming back and we're using you as a project too. We're going to give you a cap score and we're going to go through just this intentional community, I think in greater detail. And then maybe if you'll allow us as these, these topics, like how would we finance this, what the bottom line should look like from a finance perspective, from the creative side, Mm -hmm. like what really makes that community space that's actually going to spark that right intention you know, maybe over time we can bring in believable people from our networks to help you supplement those, those planning steps, right? Like we would love, I would love to find somebody in the finance world that could benefit y'all in any way. (laughs) I'm excited to see how that can translate. But, you know, from now, like any exposure that you can give us to where we can go and turn around and then look at our channels, please. You've convinced us this is something we should be spending time on. Absolutely. All right. Thanks so much. I appreciate it, Mike. And Yuvi, who is not here right now, taking care of the baby. Um, thank you guys so much for coming on. Thank awesome. you. Thanks for having us. Yes, of Take course. Take care. See you soon.